This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Peter Bregan, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Well, I wondered what a great artist's opening would look like, and it's a fascinating introduction. <laughs> I hope oh you liked God, it. The, <laughs> I do. The opening to my TV show, by comparison, looks like somebody from the 40s did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Folks, I love this man, this guy. Uh, Are you talking about me? Uh, yeah, I really do. Um, and uh, I want folks to know that meeting Jeremy <clears throat> has really been a very special moment for me uh, over the uh, last few weeks in various ways. And I'm going to have him on uh, my my TV show, which is on TV every uh, Wednesday. Now, I have to get used to this. Every Wednesday at 6 live. And... Um, I'm going to ask Jeremy to come on and, and just talk about his artwork and himself and his evolution so that uh, we in America, and of course everybody reaches around the world now, can just get to know more about you. Um, <clears throat> Ginger and I both, uh, uh, we're just really, really pleased to know you and the way you think about things and the artwork. And folks, I'm going to try to integrate Jeremy's artwork to the degree I can, uh, perhaps into my TV show or videos or because I really, I just think this is a great guy, good human being. You are too kind, Peter, and I'm very humbled because you are one of the greatest minds in America. Thank you. I have Can you, I go you, to Europe too? I want to be. In- <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, I have to, I have to most ask people, you. Most people think America doesn't have any great minds. It's kind of a subtext sometimes when I'm on the air with uh, Australians or uh, South Africans, particularly Germans. Um, you know, it's like America, there are no great minds in America. Actually, we have one of the greatest scientists in the world right now, Peter McCullough. And have you had Peter on? Yes. Yeah, maybe that's how I met you, through Peter McCullough. He introduces me to a lot of people. He's also a great mind. Yeah, he's got an intro- wrote an introduction to my book. But I'm interrupting. I'm scattering this whole. Oh show. no! Well, I have to. Well, let's start um, with the very important question, and that is, why are you known as the conscience of psychiatry? Well, it's interesting. I became involved in psychiatry uh, when I was younger than you. I was about eighteen, and I was a freshman at Harvard. I was in a special honors program for history and literature that kind of led to being a professor or something along those lines. And a friend of mine told me I was working too hard and invited me to come to the local state mental hospital as a volunteer. He and his older brother at Harvard were starting a volunteer program. And I walked into the state mental hospital and it was the most overwhelming, dramatic, uh, stunning, experience of my life and as i look back on it now it was really my first living confrontation with evil in america probably the most evil places have been the mental hospitals many times sometimes the jails the forget cia experiments um, which involves smaller numbers but just as a mass um, suppression the state mental hospital uh, was worse than our prisons. I, I, we used to have criminal facilities in the state mental hospitals that were worse than the jails. So if you had to punish somebody in a in state prison, you send them to the mental hospital wing of the, the prison wing of the state mental hospital. Utter de- contempt for human beings, utter contempt for the people. You know, you're a schizophrenic, you're this, you're that. We can do anything we want to your brain. We can shock you, we can stick we can stick scalpels inside your eyeballs, around your eyeballs, you know, with the, actually there were ice picks and, you know, mess up the front lobes of your brain. And <clears throat> I had seen concentration camp movies unintentionally inflicted when I was nine 
going to a regular movie house with my parents and they movie tone news uh, put on um, the first films of the liberation of the of the uh, extermination camps. I saw heaps of Jews piled up. And later my Uncle Dutch came back from the war and told me about his experiences and showed me photos I never should have seen as a child of torture remnants in um, these concentration uh, extermination camps. And when I walked into the state mental hospital, it reminded me of, my, of the films, this dreary, dreadful, contemptuous attitude toward people, and my Uncle Dutch's descriptions of the stench of the camp and the arrogance of uh, the people uh, around the camp. And uh, it was, it, it just, I, I'd walked into some horror I didn't imagine existed in America. And, um, I eventually just dove into the program. I spent more time on the wards than I did in class by a lot and wrote my first book from it, started my first book, later completed by other students and expunged of the better parts. And um, I started giving lectures as a college student around the country about how volunteers uh, would just change these environments, and we did. And finally, I, I actually confronted the superintendent and I said, listen, uh, we think that if we could have our individual patients, we'll still have the 200 Harvard Radcliffe volunteers, but we want about 15 or 12, 15 of us to have our own patients that we will visit specifically. They'll know we're coming. It will be official. Well, he was outraged by this and the local psychoanalytic society, I'd never seen a psychoanalyst on the ward, said we'd ruin the patients. Help me God. That's the word we got from local psychoanalytic society. And I, I was, I had such hoods as a kid. So I said, well, you know, I know the superintendent at Boston State who thinks our program's great. We could move it there. And he said, no, 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 stay here. It was a, this was a lesser known uh, state mental hospital. And we ended up getting just about every patient out of the hospital that we worked with. We had a wonderful supervising social worker. Now, believe it or not, those were good times in psychiatry because nowhere in the world today would psychiatrists let volunteers into the hospital to see what they were doing, to work with the patients, to help the patients. Because it's well known now that every mental patient is biologically defective and can't really be helped. You have just drugged them for life or shot them or cut them. So it's worse now. There were more there were more opportunities for someone like me in psychiatry before it was completely taken over by the drug companies. And so I did that for four years and I became a very bright young man in psychiatry. I thought I'd be the youngest president of the American Psychiatric Association. Eventually I turned out to be the youngest person with a target on his back from the American Psychiatric Association because I went into psychiatry knowing that drugs didn't work, that they did more harm than good. I didn't know how bad I'd have to research more over the decades. I knew that electroshock was simply a way of subduing people in the hospital. That was obvious. You know, a person before shock would be upset, angry, sad, whatever. And you shocked them and they were oblivious for a while. Brain damage. Like it was clear it was causing brain damage to a sophomore in college. There was no mistaking brain damage. It would look like somebody from a car accident afterward. And... Um, I concluded eventually that there was, uh, well, I, I was I was enough of a, you know, the, this person who'd done these amazing things as a young person to get into the Harvard training program. I knew the people in advance, and I realized that it was all over for, for uh, the highest levels of psychiatry. had been completely captured by 1962, three, when I went to become a resident, captured by the drug companies. Now, there are two very direct associations to modern times here. One is the power of the drug companies to control activities through their wealth and power. And that really begins full-fledged starting in the 1954 or so when I'm first going into the hospitals because that's when we get the tranquilizers, so-called tranquilizers, um, which are the antipsychotic drugs, which are not antipsychotic at all. They just cause lobotomy. They s completely suppress the highest mental centers by disrupting the dopamine, dopamine nerves to the brain from inside the brain deep to the frontal lobes. So by doing this, you cause a lobotomy. 
And that was very clear to me early on. I mean, I, didn't, I, I knew all this before I was indoctrinated. I was just trying to figure things out. It was not, not too complicated if you hadn't been trained. And, and so I decided that there wasn't any place for me. And it's interesting because Anthony Fauci, I, oh, so I, I went to NIMH actually, because I was still was, though I always spoke my mind, there was enough room for, in, it, for, in psychiatry at that time. And for me to be even admired by some of the professors and so on. So I got to uh, go to the National Institute of Mental Health for two years when I finished my training. And I got to, I was a lieutenant commander in the public health service. And I realized at this time that the drug companies were just taking it all over. And they were doing it through the power of this one drug, which with no testing at all virtually, was given to every mental patient in every mental hospital throughout the world over a few months period of time because it was clear it worked. And uh, one of the ways they said it worked, now start thinking about COVID-19 and controlling America because he's controlling the world. Um, because as one of the uh, leaders of this program said, well, these are neurotoxins, we know that, but they have a wonderful effect because on the first day that we introduced them onto the wards, the nurses told us how much better things were on the ward. And they wrote about them as neurotoxins. You, I mean, the world, the psychiatry reacted like I had invented calling them neurotoxins. <laughs> They're not only neurotoxins, this is another amazing tie that I had never made before. In addition to there being neurotoxins, they mimic a plague called lethargic encephalitis that had struck the world overlapping the uh, great flu epidemic after world, during and after World War I. And they have the same effects as lethargic encephalitis. Notice the word that the, it was called lethargic encephalitis. These drugs produce a lethargic encephalitis. And that's why they work immediately on animals or people. They immediately make you unable to have a free will, unable to stand up for yourself, unable to respond. They make you docile. And this was the, this was the dream of the drug companies, the dream of the psychiatrists. Remember, at the same time, they were lobotomizing and shocking people in the state hospitals in large groups, massively doing it. Well, one of the connections here is the drug companies making tons of money, making people docile. I mean, this is interesting, making people very sick and killing a lot of people because we didn't want to face it, but there's no question that uh, people who are on these antipsychotic drugs, they can lose, Jeremy, up to 20 years of life. They don't get to be old like me. And psychiatry denies these things and denies these things, but these are deadly agents and they, uh, they afflict practically every organ of the body, including the brain in a negative way. And these are drugs we use now like Risperdal, Zyprexa, Abilify, Seroquel, and Vega. These are drugs we just use all the time. And sometimes we call them antidepressants and that way people can't even look them up and find out what they really are. So we have the drug companies early on doing this. But there's something else that's fascinating about it, which is it's a kind of uh, uh, control of the human mind. It fits right in with what the CIA is trying to do, and it fits in with transhumanism. Sure. That human beings are not really beings. Take out the beings part of being human. Human animals. And we can manipulate their brains, make them better, make them worse, do what we want with them. It's an evil that's, by the way, has taken me a long time to, to, to face, to discuss, and to try to be articulate about without being horribly overwhelming. I mean, when Ginger and I, we, our heads would spin when we were researching COVID-19 about the evil behind it. We'd take time outs and help each other through. <laughs> Peter, can I stop you just for a moment? You you mentioned yeah, you, you mentioned antidepressants. Uh, I I recently got off uh, paroxetine, which is rated one of the worst. Um, and I yes, yes. and I feel the best that I've ever felt now. Thank God you're off because they wear the brain away. They wear away uh, emotions, sexuality, caring. 
they're notorious for for making uh, men impotent, at least temporarily. And but it's really much more than that. It's about love. They reduce love. I don't know what your experience is, but they reduce generally our ability to engage life. You engage beautifully, and um, <laughs> you know you're really an engager. Well, uh, thank you. You. You've mentioned, and I think you were kind of alluding to this now in your comment, but you've, your, your book is pretty much the foundation of our conversation, and you've, you've mentioned the global predators. Who are these global predators, and are we the prey? Or, sorry, are we being preyed on? Yeah. Well, let me name the book. It's, it's mm. COVID. I don't think we have. It's COVID-19 and the global predators. COVID-19 and the global predators. We are the prey. And um, it's available around the world now. It is sold just about 60,000 copies. Um, and it's only been on sale on Amazon and other places since September 30th. Um, so it's not very long. But we sold a lot of copies in advance. So we thought we were going to sell them out of our garage, you know, buy, print 500 copies, sell them out of the garage. and. When we did one t one of one show, I think, and we got a thousand we re requests, we realized that we were into something deeper than we thought. And the book's been tremendously praised, as you know. I mean, it's got it's got introductions by the top three, I believe, physicians in the world when it comes to treating COVID nineteen. Peter A. McCullough, M.D. M.P.H. Zev Zelenko, God bless him, a physician who. Both men who gave up their professional identities and lives to save people, and the same thing with Elizabeth Lee, the lead MD, who was, you know, was was uh, helping women with their postmenopausal and hormonal issues, and working with some men too, and had a good practice, and now she's uh, she's in there saving people, pulling them out of mental hospitals, uh, like mental hospitals, pulling them out of these hospitals that are killing patients. Um, her organization is truthforhealth.org, and that's a good place for people to to look uh, to learn more. Truthforhealth.org, and um, Peter McCullough is the uh, medical um, guide there, and Lee Elite's the founder of that organization. Um, so I just want to give people background. So you can buy the book anywhere, and in a few weeks we're going to be back to selling at a discount again. And uh, that will be wearethepray.com. You can buy it at wearethepray.com. Right now, if you go there, you'll get be sent to Amazon. But um, we have finally caught up with 25,000 orders. We never expected that. We had to get into a second printing and so all of that. But before going on to your question, let me just quickly finish this little story because I can tie things together in a way that's kind of unimaginable. And that is that psychiatry and the drug companies is the epitome of what they are doing with COVID-19. Psychiatry and the drug companies turn state mental hospitals into places of complete control and docility while making <clears throat> multi-millions of dollars giving neurotoxins, the original ones with Thorazine and Haldol, they're still around. That's how bad it is. Those with some of the original dirtiest toxins and they're still around and um that's kind of the setup for COVID-19 I used to say when we started giving all these antipsychotics to ordinary folks walking around trying to live their lives that we had turned the country into a mental hospital because a higher percentage of the country was on psychiatric drugs than used to be true in many mental hospitals <laughs> think about that so some mental hospitals didn't have 30, 40% of their patients on drugs. Now we got at least that at one point in their lives, people are getting on these drugs now. So we have a model for complete suppression. It's also very similar. I went behind um, the, uh, uh, the Berlin Wall not long before it came down. And the same experience there, it looked like a mental hospital. The people were frightened. They were suppressed. They would come up to me and Jeffrey. I was with Jeffrey Mason, who's very approachable, spoke German. And these adolescent kids came up and begged, looking terrible. They'd have bad skin, not taken care of well, beauty shining through, and begged us to help them get out. 
risking their lives and maybe the lives of their parents, begging two strangers who look warm and loving to help them get out. So there's a seamless thing here about communism, psychiatry, totalitarianism, and transhumanism. Because what happened, I went into private practice. I was just not going to have anything to do with the system. I knew it didn't have a place for me inside it. And then I found out lobotomy was coming back, mutilating people's brains. That's really transhumanism. They were putting electrodes into the heads of little children, black children in a segregated institution in Mississippi. That really blew me away. That made me what I am today, a reformer. When I found out they were putting electrodes in the heads of little black kids in Mississippi, stimulating them, walking around the wards with these braided electrodes hanging out of their heads and then burning holes in them. And nobody in medicine was protesting published articles about it. And that lobotomy was coming back and they were claiming uh, William Sweet, the most powerful physician in the country probably at the time, head of neurosurgery at Mass General at Harvard, really, you know, the big cheese. He had gotten money from Congress to do psychosurgery experiments because it might cure ghetto riot leaders. I am not kidding you. And and they couldn't get any black people to operate on, so they were just operating on poor poor white souls who uh, who fell into their. And I shut them all down. I shut down all these programs, and I be, I said somebody's finally got to do it. I expected some help from psychiatrists who were genuine people working. Mm. One, one psychiatrist in the whole country, actually. Put one put to help me put that psychosurgeon out of business down in Mississippi. Everywhere else, it was David and Goliath, and um, I shut down almost all the programs in the Western world. We still have a couple here and there. I work with Congress. You couldn't work with Congress like that anymore. They're all feckless, fearful. Most of them are global predators. So who are the global predators? We yes. start with my, everybody who has money and power right now. The entire and I, by the way, in the book, I name all names I can find. I name all, all companies and corporations mm. I can name. I've got lists of them here that I can pull over and read. I don't know if we'll bother with that. But basically what has happened is that the wealth and power of the world has become organized around globalism. So all the top tech companies have more identification with China as their big market than with the U.S. Most of the large corporations, I mean, even our athletic corporations, like uh, the Basketball Association, um, they want us. They want to get their. They want to expand their sports into China, and then even the sneaker companies, like the big one, I forget the name of them. Bless them to work with LeBron, LeBron James. You wonder, why does LeBron James talk like a totalitarian communist? He's Nike. selling a, a big basketball player. He's talking, selling are you talking, sorry, are you talking about Nike or Adidas? Um, Nike. Nike, yeah. Yeah. So LeBron James works with Nike, and he goes to communist China many times, and he's he's telling Americans not to, they don't know what they're doing to not criticize the Chinese for taking over Hong Kong. LeBron James, the people's, he was, I loved him. He was the people's athlete. He wanted to save the people in Ohio and raise them up again into having a real society because they were being burnt out by China, are sending stuff to China. Well, he got bored early on. I tracked that in the book, his first meetings with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. They, These globalists, they go after the people that they see that's dangerous. When doors open silently in the middle of the show, we need to get a, a little uh, something with incense. The dogs are barking in my house. Everybody is sensing. <laughs> so the global, the, it doesn't matter who it is, you know, whether it's uh, here, I'll, I'll grab you um, just a list here. Let me reach over here. I, I love you. I can be informal with you. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. When when it looked like Trump had lost the election, which we, which he did not. He won the election handily, and it was taken away. 
I watched it happen overnight. I watched him from being way in the lead to all the counting stopped in the key states for like an hour or two, stopped. And then it resumed again and he was, he had lost votes and Biden had just across the board gained votes. It was, and even the talking heads were saying, this looks fishy. This, we ought to go back someday and find the videos of the talking heads that night. There were, even the liberal guy on Fox was saying, this looks fishy. What the, what's going on here? So in November 20th, and this would be uh, 2020th, November 2020th, where it's after the election, Trump is lost. Michael Bloomberg, who is one of the big predators, he has his own international organization. He holds an international organization to celebrate the recoupling with China and getting rid of Trump. So who does he co-host with? And this is done on a video because it's 2020. It's right in the middle. He co-hosts it with a Chinese communist top representative. And he does this on a, I mean, he could have pulled in anybody from around the world. So the co-host and co-sponsor is communist China. Uh, a big address is given by the vice president of China. Xi Jinping is shown in pictures hobnobbing at parties that must have been conducted despite its being basically, you know, digital worldwide. Who, who participates? Hillary and Bill was there. Um, Janet Yellen, the former Fed chairman, who is now our treasurer, is there. Henry Paulson, the former Bush treasurer, is there. Uh, top execs from McDonald, IBM, MasterCard, FedEx, Prudential, Goldman Sachs, Honeywell, Moderna. I'll tell you a little more about that. The Prime Minister of India, Tony Blair, King Hussein from Jordan, European Central Bank, Bank of England, Reserve Bank of India, Credit Suisse, People's Bank of China. Um, Henry Kissinger, I thought he was like an old joke. No, Henry is still a big money maker for people who want to work with the Chinese communist slaveholders, the slavers of China. And uh, at the uh, on the last day, they had a special celebration that involved um, Tedros from WHO, Bill Gates, who's very big in all of this, and um, also um, Moderna. Moderna was in there. So these predators were planning all this. We have tracked back the intense planning to 2010. Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab together announced the decade of vaccines. People what does forget that mean? This. Yeah, what does that mean? It means that they were going to organize the next decade about making billions and gaining power through vaccines. 2010, announce it at Klaus Schwab's uh, international meetings. World Economic Forum with, and they've already involved um, a big trust um, out of Great Britain. They've involved a couple of agencies in foreign countries, and they're just beginning to get off the ground. That's 2010. Another document, which we'll be putting up on the website soon, it just fits into this thing. My book has all the basics. We're just building. 2012, these guys get the world, they get the UN, their, their governing body of the United Nations to endorse an international program working with the pharmaceutical industry, with Bill Gates, with Anthony Fauci, 2012, all together to make it the decade of the vaccines. Big color pamphlet, World Health Organization's involved. By two, in 2015, Gates, working again with Klaus Schwab, began the development of an organization called CEPI. You can still look up CEPI, it's a very powerful 
nonprofit of all the powerhouses working together to make money from vaccines. That's all it is. It's full vaccine, CEPI. And if you go back and find, as I think God just, God leads my fingers on the keyboard or something, because there's so many things I found first before anybody else's number, that so many ginger found first. And I found the master plan, which eventually goes back to 2015-16, and it's the preliminary business plan for CEPI. They already are involving NIAID, NIH, the FDA in their planning. This is a supranational thing. It's not like the FDA has gone to Congress or gone to the president even. They're just themselves joining into this decade of the vaccines years ahead of time. And there's even a provision in the plan that the drug companies will build these things that later get called Operation um, Warp Speed. They'll build these things that are later called the uh, Great Reset. They will merge the government agencies with the industries. They're building it. Rick Bright, an evil man who is the head of a group in the U.S. called BARDA, an agency, he is involved early on, 2015-16, working with Bill Gates, with Fauci, with all these people to make billions and overwhelm the world, gain power, ruin the democracies. They're all working together early on for globalism and with China. China's fingers are everywhere. Document this so much. These people love the Chinese model. They think that they can work with China forever. Eventually, China, if, if we lose, China, if China becomes what they want, the economic leader of the world, that's what they want, which mm. means the military power of the world, China will just eat these cute little boys. I mean, they'll, they'll view Bill Gates as a 10-year-old in short pants, take everything away from him, spank him, and maybe kill him. I mean, they're not going to give a heck about these other people who now are so proud to be working with the Chinese communists you know, Kissinger and Klaus Schwab and all these people. Bill and Hillary so proud to be associated with the Chinese communist conferences. So they had it all planned out. And by 2017, Bill Gates knows just and is talking about just who is going to rule America, which drug companies he's going to work with, and it's Moderna and Pfizer. So when President Trump gets up and says so proudly that he's been working with industry and he's the big businessman, he's deluded. They have been working him and building up for this for years. And when he so proudly announces warp speed, I don't think he has an inkling that that was decided 10 years earlier. They were already building their platforms. Nor does he guess that in the, and this is what I'll end with for now, there's so much more. Does he possibly guess that as early as 2015 and 16, in the plans, plans made with the World Health Organization, no less, and 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 based on a legal agreement, nearly a legal agreement called Memorandum of Understanding, that WHO and Bill Gates and SEPI have already divided up the world and made an agreement that the drug companies will be recompensed for all expenses, direct and indirect, when the next pandemic hits. And I got it in writing in at least two different places, including under the umbrella of a memorandum of agreement between the World Health Organization, which is the UN. They're working with the UN folks. I never dreamed all this stuff. So I'm gonna take a breath. I think that gives you a picture mm. of the depth of the collusion, the evil, the people involved. Just to add though to what you're saying, and you previously said, in fact, you, you said this in your book, um, that we're in the midst of probably the greatest propaganda war in history. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, we've seen propaganda, you know, the Nazis were great at propaganda. We were pretty good and fought back with propaganda. Right now, 
what it, what these globalists have arranged is a total propaganda campaign. You must be terrified of COVID-19, even though it is much less dangerous to young people than the flu. And even though we have a great treatment for it, which we won't allow because we're pushing the vaccines, we have great treatments for COVID. Um, we, we're going to make you so terrified of COVID and we're going to have so many variants of COVID. They knew all these variants were going to come, uh, whether they produced them or not. COVID, by the way, was 19, SARS-CoV-2, was made in Chinese labs with the help of American labs with money from Fauci, period. The first three or four chapters of my book, nobody could doubt it. All the scientific articles are there building up the research funded by Fauci, funded by his henchmen. It's all there. It's in the research papers, which Ginger first discovered, um, and which we've done really good deep dive into and tried to make really coherent for people. So they their, their notion is terrify the world and then uh, make people docile, see if it works, and take them, out, take them over. And they've actually, and, and they're now using words like capture, capture the democracies. See, that, they're back again, right? When I talk about capture the democracies, they're coming in again. That, not that, that door behind me gets blown open by the wind. <laughs> or, or, somebody or, is, or somebody's listening or, in. <laughs> or maybe it's God and the wind that's coming in is the breaths of fresh air. <laughs> you know, it's hard to interpret. We stay away from extract interpretation in the book, but we give you tons of data to work your own mind on. <laughs> Peter, what is the end goal of this propaganda war? Oh, it's dominion over the world by a few people. Klaus Schwab says you will be, uh, you won't have property. Uh, you know, you won't be free, but you will be happy, at least in our terms. It is exactly what the Chinese empires always strove for, what Mao killed maybe uh, somewhere between 60, 70, and 100 or more million people for. They don't care about life. They are death worshippers. They don't care how many people COVID's uh, killing because no one's getting treatment. They don't care how many people are vaccines killing. This is that background they come from. The goal is domination of the earth by, uh, by uh, the many over the few. And folks, this is not some new concoction. This is the world as it's always been. If Once we reach the point of living in cities, maybe big towns and cities, everywhere in the world, that it was possible. Tyrants took over in the name of the oligarchs, the priests, the kings. And that's been the history. I mean, when uh, contrast two different places that, that, that were uh, developed independent of Europe and Asia, North and South America, when uh, North and South America were invaded by the Europeans, what did they find in South America? What did the Spanish find? They found an empire of Native Americans that rivaled the Chinese empires in their total control, huge road systems, mammoth human sacrifices to intimidate people, and leaders who claimed to be gods. And the, the progressives like to say, well, the reason that group of 500 people of wherever small the European group and wild dogs and some horses, not wild dogs, but you know dogs that would attack and and, uh, and guns, why they could defeat the empire was you know the smallpox plague, the not really anything else and killed off everybody. Well, no, that really isn't the big key. It's not really the big key that killed resistance. That that happened in North America and it didn't kill the resistance. It was that they were an empire. You chop off the head and it falls apart. It's a huge empire. And that's what happened. In, in North America, you had 500 different tribes scattered around. They were not very peace-loving. They often exterminated each other. They had wars against each other. They had the intelligence on the East Coast to build the Iroquois nation, whose purpose it was to stop all the wars among them. 
and they gave the power of war making to women in a council. Amazing thing they did, but they were not gods either. They were doing their best, and they but they were doing it to try to manage the violence the human beings perpetrate and the way a uh, you know, way things are ruled. But in America, with all these very independent groups, it was more like pre-civilization in some ways. And in pre-civilization, you couldn't rule people. Everybody had their own bow and arrow. They made their own clothes. They were in family groups. That's how we were bred for. That's what we grew up with. Uh, we were people that were very independent. We roved uh, Europe and we roved North America and Asia and small, relatively small groups. And that's what, what a lot of the tribes were like. And those kind of people were much more independent and they fought and fought and fought when we arrived. They fought. So I, have, I think they, you know, go ahead. Have global predators uh, been around then for centuries, if not thousands of years? Oh, I think for at least uh, 10,000 years. You go back to the oldest books of the Bible and then the classics, the uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, <clears throat> and they also already are worlds that are dominated by violent, hateful, monstrous leaders who will sacrifice everything. In the case of the Trojan Wars, supposedly over pride, but really probably over a lot of other things. Power, power, power. And it isn't even money. Hitler didn't want to be wealthy. That wasn't his goal. Mao, uh, his goal wasn't wealth. It's power and the ability to kill people. The ability to kill We must face that unlike most people, predators get off on killing people, whether they are domestic people who violence people finally kill their wife and their kids, whether they're serial murderers, uh, often killing large numbers of women, mm. or whether they are the typical leaders of undemocratic nations. Democracies do not allow this. And the fact that we now are slaughtering our people in vast numbers by suppressing treatments for COVID-19 and by giving vaccines that are now killing tens of thousands of people. Vaccines. Quote vaccines. Yeah, they're not. They are transhumanistic modifiers of your genetic makeup. They're making new genetic makeup outside your nucleus and uh, the evidence is growing that the, the, uh, these uh, transferases allow the, the processes to get into the nucleus as well, their transhumanism. Um, but uh, that, the fact that we, we are allowing all these deaths and our medical professions caved in and is just going whole hog with it. I mean, you have this situation only when you've lost democracy. So I think we've, we can say we've lost democracy in America right now. We got to win it back. Folks, win it back. There are so many people in this world like me. I'm not even unusual. And, and mm -hmm. you know, Jeremy, as amazing as he is, is not unusual. There are within our group, the people we know, tens of thousands of people who want to refound America and America and bring liberty back to the world. Join us. We are full of life. Um, I found the secret to eternal life, uh, be eternally fighting for liberty until God takes you. That's it. <laughs> if, if the global predators have been around for so many thousands of years, shouldn't we by now know how to resist or push back? No one's asked me that before. I'm dumbstruck. Yes. Yes. I'll have to think about why don't we. There is a proclivity in human beings to, as, a, as groups, cave in to violent leadership. I mean, it's so clear. It doesn't matter whether it's the Queen of England who is worshipped well, whether it's uh, a terrible pope like we have now, we have this awful pope, and I get that from the Catholic friends of mine. They're the ones who showed me uh, that the pope was working with Xi Jinping. Do you know the pope's taking millions of dollars from Xi Jinping to pay for the crimes against children that they're being uh, having to pay off? And in return, Xi Jinping has given the pope. I'm sorry, the pope has given Xi Jinping the right to select Catholic bishops in China, 
When I heard this from my Catholic friends, I went, oh, well, I got they sent me documents. You'll find them in the book. I actually mostly I list documents. There's so many of them about the Pope's joining the communists. And of course, he's holding, he's holding communist meetings about the future of the world now, about global, you know, global uh, COVID-19 and, 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 uh, and also about global warming. So we've got global warming, folks, is just one more strategy to scare the hell out of you. For all we know, global warming is keeping the next ice age, which was expected in abeyance, mm. if it exists even. Because there are these cycles that human beings, folks, I'm sitting in upstate New York right now, 10,000 years ago. That's not very long ago. And in our civilization time, it's pretty long because that's about mm. the beginning of uh, uh, villages and cities. 10,000 years ago, there was a, a mile of ice over my head. You think human activity is no. going to do anything to affect that kind of process no, of that has been not. going on and receding. And, but maybe there's a hope that if we warm the place up a bit, you know, we'll, we'll prevent the ice age. Because the ice ages, which have little cycles and big cycles, are the horrors. And in the 1970s, the progressives were saying we needed big government to fight the coming ice age. That was in the 70s. Um, Google it. It's there. It's in the book. You can find a citation for it. But the real, the thing that destroys civilizations and presses humanity together in a narrow band are the ice ages. When the ice ages uh, um, and, and the ice pulls the water out of the oceans, um, there were there were places where we have cities now that were, you know, several hundred foot cliffs. So of uh, empty ocean, so. Uh, Folks, uh, don't be smug that you know what's going to happen. They can't predict the weather yet. Um, um, mm. You know, it's garbage in, garbage out, computers, the science is completely controlled. But that's saw, a part of the terrifiers. Yes. Terrifiers controlled. But people in groups have always caved in. And uh, I, I, suppose, I saw that in high school. Yeah, I suppose a variation of my question then is why? Do Peter, uh, do Peter, do people cave in like this? Why, why are people so compliant? Well, you know, we're born to compliance. We we have the longest uh, uh, fetal life outside the womb of any creature. We are born in the condition that is a fetus for most most animals. We're helpless. I mean, it's, we don't even walk for months and months and months and months. We're helpless. We're born into helplessness. And then over time, we are, our brain grows, uh, doubles in size in that first year, and it's doubling in relation to human activity around it, to nurturing. So dependence on humans and, and, and looking up with little, well, big eyes at big people is such a part of how we grow. I think we are just so susceptible to being made helpless again. And that, that's why you can have some, some miserable guy bullying his, uh, mm. his wife and uh, maybe killing one or two of them and getting another one and because there, there is within people uh, such a, a capacity to be reduced back into childhood. That's why Jimmy Jones could kill hundreds of people in his cult and mm. hardly any of them fled. And the armed guards shot people who were fleeing all because some insane guy who Hillary Clinton, by the way, liked a lot, Jimmy <laughs> Jones. How's this for a tidbit of nowhere? I mean, so I'm just tying together stuff, folks, on just a scale. But we have deep in us helplessness. Do you think that... And by the way, it only takes a small percentage of us to reverse the whole group, though. Sure, sure, sure. Um, do you think that liberty and perhaps other forms of freedom and sovereignty are currently under attack. Is that, is that a the straight face? Like a serious question. It's been crushed. <laughs> Don't speak Jeremy. If it's being under attack, it's being crushed. And by the way, I want to come back to the doctors being crushed because I've mm. never discussed this on the air before. In Nazi Germany, the biggest supporters, professionally, the hugest supporters were the psychiatrists. 
most percentage of Nazis were psychiatrists. See this tie-in about these people who want to control other people. And the second largest group was medicine in general, I believe, with the lawyers close behind and the judges being happy to conform because they come from authoritarian systems. And that's just what we're seeing here in America. Medicine's an authoritarian system. That's, that's why I'm the first psychiatrist first physician to stand up against lobotomy publicly, first physician me to stand up against electroshock publicly. Why? Why would that crazy? What is all craziness? Certainly the first psychiatrists say drugs do more harm than good. I mean, all those things are first. And um, it's because I was already anti-authoritarian by the time I was a kid. It was just in my nature. I think God stuck it there. But, so are, um, are we too quick to take drugs these days? Well, uh, psychoactive drugs in general are a menace. I mean, mm. the one space that the psychoactive drugs deserve to be in is pain, pain medications. Used, moderately used, used cautiously, they are a boon to mankind. So what is the CDC mostly screwing up? The ability of people to get opiate pain medications. Sure. And, and, uh, and the people who are dying from overdoses that's China. China is flooding us. I mean, China's been at war with us forever, folks. You've got to know that. Mm. One of the things they do is they flood us with fentanyl. So what does the Biden administration do? Open up the border, let the fentanyl pour in, kill tens of thousands of our children and youth. And they haven't, very few of them have gone from pain medications for a back injury to, to overdosing. They go from smoking dope and being into the drugs to getting into the other drugs to finally getting a drug they never knew was going to kill them. Fentanyl was just so much more powerful than the other opiates and then the Chinese fentanyl, which is unbelievably suppressive of the central nervous system. But so what is uh, what does the CDC do? It controls doctors more and more. So it's practically impossible to get the amount of pain meds you want in the United States while we let China flood the country with the drugs that are a part of the disaster. It's not the doctors treating people. There's an occasional doctor should go to jail, makes business, you know, over, you know, giving away pain meds to addicts. I, you know, that's not the part of our job. And those people should go to jail. But um, that's rare docs. Those those uh, docs are rare. How do we... This is an information flood. I'm sorry. No, no. It's... I feel like I'm flooding, flooding. <laughs> no, please, please. Uh, the, the more the better. But how do we, how do we stop? Stop is the wrong word. How do we resist? Well, I think there's a couple of things that are just critical. First, folks, we have to build alternative institutions instead of watching CNN, watch Jeremy. Folks around the world who get their news from CNN, you're being made sick. You're being polluted by crap. You're getting, you're getting communist, globalist propaganda. And I never would have said this two years ago. I did not take positions like this two years ago. I was ignorant. Until I started, I thought, I'll tell you how stupid I was, deluded I was. I thought that everything I was learning about psychiatry and the pharmaceutical industry was limited to that godforsaken area of industry and professionalism. And that because psychiatry had no scientific basis, it was like a materialistic religion, teaching people that it's your biological uh, genetical, biochemical things that were making you despair over life, um, pulling you out of uh, psychology and religion, spirituality. I thought I was limited, deluded myself. COVID-19 came along, I started looking and I went, oh my God, Ginger, everything we've learned about, everything we've been fighting in psychiatry, it's the world. And once again, though, the model is using medicine and using the pharmaceutical industry because that's the modern religion. That could almost be the final word because that's the modern religion. They're using medicine and pseudoscience and calling it science. By the way, the way I knew immediately that it was all corrupt was watching Anthony Fauci. While every other people were impressed with Anthony saying, I am science, I knew that there was no such person 
because science is a process of untold thousands of human beings doing their best to set aside their interests and discover mm. truth and discover real facts of life and developing theories and then discovering they were wrong or they were taking money and, and getting back to the truth again. That's science. And it isn't it doesn't exist in the federal government. Nobody does science in the federal government. They do applied, fake applied science to, to prove something like my the drugs work. They don't mm. use science. They're not trying to understand anything. So I knew that this guy was just a corrupt 40-year official. Oh, uh, interestingly enough, Fauci joined NIH through NIAID at almost the same time, I think maybe two years later, as I joined NIMH, which was NIH. And I quit because the, I saw the drug companies taking over and Fauci made the most of it. He stayed. Peter, he in, in front of you, there is a crystal ball. Tell me what you see. I see that we will either have a thousand year reign of communism or we'll have a rebirth of liberty. I used to think from America, but I think it's going to maybe even come somewhere else. A rebirth of the fighting spirit, the freedom-loving spirit. And it's a spirit that for most people will be attached to God because it's very hard to say to yourself, even though I may get killed or worse, tortured, uh, my family's, terrible things may happen to me. This is so important. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stand up for liberty. Most people who do that do it because they believe that God gives us liberty, that we're all treasures. We all belong to one family. We all have personal meaning and value. Unborn, I'm coming more and more to the unborn human beings, which as a form of progressive, I thought they were nobodies, just chop them up and let the woman have a happy life. But I'm beginning to see there's this pattern of you either love life or you don't. And it's those folks, it's the people who love life, love individuals, who don't want to sacrifice the old people to save money in the health systems, but who want to really respect and love individuals, see the uniqueness, see the God. One of my favorite things in the world is the, the Quaker concept uh, of uh, greeting that of God and each other. I see that growing. I see it becoming a power. As a Jew, I'm working mostly with uh, Christians. Uh, almost everybody I work with is a Christian, except for a couple of wonderful people like Zev Zelenko. How can you can't be any more Jewish than Zev? Zev's an observant Jew, for God's sakes. He's very ill right now. God bless him. And I believe he is a prophet. I think he is a Hebrew prophet. I'm beginning to see the coexistence of Judaism and Christianity is just a beautiful thing. Um, uh, we need to just be what we were, you know, part of each other. Christianity so comes from the from the family of Judaism. Um, so I, that's what I see. I see a contest uh, that will not end contests for all time because God's time appears to go on and on and on. Uh, we Jews were in captivity for 500 years. When I was watching a Charlton Heston movie, you know, that Jews are getting free. And uh, Heston Moses. is narrating. Yeah, one of those. And, and, and Heston is narrating. And the Jews remained in captivity for, enslaved for 500 years. And my wife, Ginger, turns to me and she says, God's time is really different from ours. <laughs> and uh, you got to have that. I think that was 35 years ago or 40 years ago she said that to me. And um, it really transformed me. It made me realize, yes, God's time is bigger than my time and your time. So I don't know whether we're going to have a thousand-year reign of, mm. of atheistic, behavioralistic Marxism, materialism, Oof. transhumanism, or Oof. whether we're going to have a rebirth of a uh, freedom in America and hopefully in South Africa and in other places. I'm afraid they've captured Australia already. Yeah. And that's terrifying. So America, 
I mean, the Chinese are on the move, and the reason they captured Australia was Australia was right there, and the Australian billionaires and, and uh, officials uh, were wooed by China, let them build gigantic airports, and mm. let them build uh, gigantic ports with them, and let them take over a lot of their industry, their mining. Now they're just taking over Australia. Uh, but we have to fight back. We and it won't take fifty percent of us. It will probably take ten. Probably take ten percent of us, because we still have enough democratic procedures uh, to stand up and uh, not not violently. It's not time for that. We need to we need to get out in the streets in America. We haven't done that nearly as much. They really really won when they they shut down first the president trump's communicating on social media the president of the united states they impeach him twice a one-party impeachment the only time it's ever happened in america that that it wasn't cooperative you know fake impeachments and uh, we let him get away with that and a fake election and we have to stop letting them get away with things like that but and build alternative institutions you know, I'm on Brighty on TV with my new show, and I'm also a guest regularly on um, um, The Pillow Man, I always call it, Mike Lindell's TV. These are alternative stations. And uh, you can even watch my, uh, um, our show is going to be on Roku. Roku, I think. Do you have Roku in South Africa? Yes. It, I hope it's around the world. So around the world, I'm, I'm on TV now. Because I'm on an alter- with an alternative group, Mike Adams, mm. right here on TV. So, where can people? And, well, I mean, just yeah. on that, where can people find more about you and your books? Well, the best way is to get go to Bregan.com, B-R-E-G-G-I-N, Bregan.com, and we 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 have free frequent alerts that we put out once or twice a week. And uh, right now we've got a mere maybe 45,000. We need more than that, folks. And uh, we're down off of YouTube. So our videos are on brighteon.com. It's bright eon, E-O-N, eon, not ion, brighteon. And we're also going up on uh, Mike Lindell's Frank Speech. So our TV is going to be up in a few different places. Um, but the, get our free frequent alerts uh, um, as a um, as a start, and you'll just find a ton of things we do. Um, read the book. The book is the best cover of the whole thing. I mean, no one else talks quite the way I do about all the stuff. And the book is the, is where I learned it, writing that book. Ginger working with me as a researcher, thinker, supporter, partner, etc. And folks, you out there, maybe there's one nasty uh, member of the global class thinking I'm going to hurt Peter Bregan. It's I'm 85. It'll be euthanasia and martyrdom. Do it, bastards. They threatened me when I was so much younger. They did it all. They threatened to kill me. They made our whole family sick, poisoned our home back in the 90s. I never sure. talked about it because it would look weird until now. I literally never talked about it when it happened to us. Went after my medical license. See, I got canceled early on, so we got used to fighting. Every time we got attacked, Ginger won. Every time. Sure. And after my license, Ginger organized the license for attack back we won we won't win always we may get done in but i'm really serious we're in it folks get in it get in it what do you you know when the founders of america signed the declaration of independence those many many men at the time those bad as some of them were being slaveholders and so on they were signing their death warrants for freedom they were not signing it so that they could keep their slaves. Signing it would do in slavery because it's a declaration of independence under God. They didn't sign it to be wealthy bourgeois under Marxist principles. Mm. They already were, most of them. 
and some weren't, the poor and the rich. They signed their death warrant because there it was, King of England, King George, we indict you and we leave you. And King George was sitting there, and we know this, thinking, that's a great list. Um, the one I want first, I don't know why, John Adams. He's going to France. He's, uh, you know, colluding against us. Catch him, we'll hang him on the ship. They signed their death warrants. Stand up for freedom because... That's the mm. people who gave the world the concept of individual rights, government of the people, by the people, for the people. It originates there, spoken by Lincoln, not not many decades later. Peter, thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Please don't go anywhere. No, they'll have to take me. We ain't going anywhere. <laughs> we are going nowhere. And that's what we need now, folks. We just need it. And I know it's harder for young people. I was scared to death when I was 40 and, and they were uh, threatening my life and the FBI would come and talk to me and then they wouldn't uh, look into the people we named and then they lost the file so they couldn't follow up. That's in the 90s. So I was scared. And some of it I did a lot before Ginger. Then I was alone. So I understand you're being scared and alone, but your life will be good. Whatever life you get, do it right. I've never spoken so passionately. I, you really do. You inspire me. Thank you, Peter. My name is Jim. This is Jim Wolfe, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com. 